Welcome everybody back to another episode here of the Mac Bandwagon Podcast on episode six now. Can't believe it's episode six already, but I suppose that uh, time flies whenever you're having fun. I am Zach Follador, joined as always by my co-host Sam Philman, live from Indianapolis. Sam, how are you doing today? Uh, good and bad, considering the recent news we've got to talk about. Not doing as well as I have in the past, but the good news is the Pacers won yesterday, so uh, that's the good news that's coming. There you go. Yeah, Pacers getting ready to uh, start the playoffs here. I think a lot of people are looking forward to the NBA playoffs with, with all the other news that's been going on in the sports world lately. As news is concerned here in the MAC, obviously, Everyone knows what uh, what we're going to talk about here today. Unfortunately, we don't have much good news to report. Uh, we are joined here by uh, Hustle Belt Creative Director James Jimenez. Uh, he is with us to discuss the, the recent cancellation of the uh, the fall sports season in the MAC, or I should say postponement. Uh, there, it looks like they're going to try and play in the spring. But anyway, uh, we have James here with us to discuss the ins and outs and some of the details of the cancellation. James. We thank you for joining us. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good, and uh, thank you for the uh, We Are James. I, I love that little slip up there. That was very <laughs> amusing to me. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm holding up. Uh, you know, the last couple of days have been really, obviously, like really busy for the lovers of the Mac. And, you know, when all those announcements are starting to come down, or reports are starting to come down from people like Ross Dellinger and I want to say back on Friday and Saturday about the possibility of a truncated season. I think they were talking about something like eight and two or nine and one schedule or something like that. It it seemed feasible like on its surface, but I hadn't heard anything like that from like anybody I was talking to or like any of the sources that I tend to trust on these types of matters, you know, like the local journalists, I would say. And that indicated to me that there was really something amiss. So, like, by the time Saturday rolled around, you know, game towards the end of it, and then Sunday where they start talking about cancellations, like, yeah, that sounds right. And, you know, it ultimately, it's like I talked about in my column that we released, I think, on Monday. It's, it's at this point, it's the right thing to do. Like, there's too many unknowns that we're getting into in terms of like, when is this virus going to go away? Are we going to have a vaccine? Is it even safe to play? Like, what is what is the infection rate, you know, in terms of like 17 to 23 year olds? You know, because we're talking, we're talking about heart issues. And if you're talking about, like, I don't know, throwing it, even throwing it a, a number as small as like 0.1%, like a 10th of a percent of impacted athletes across you know, say all three divisions, you're talking something in the range of like 5,000 athletes, that's still 500 athletes being affected for the rest of their lives. So yeah. like, you, it's an issue that you can't take lightly. So like when the news first came down, it was a mix of like sadness, because, you know, obviously I love college football and especially Mac football. Like I live for Saturdays where I can drive down to Mount Pleasant get my press badge, you know, hang around the tailgates before the game and then like go down on the field to take pictures. Like I live for that. So I'm obviously really sad that like this is happening, but there is also a lot of relief because I, because I know internally that like this is 
good. Like, finally, we have some sort of resolution to this. Like, we're not putting the student athletes in danger and all that. And then there was a mixture of pride, too, because, because you know, the MAC really put itself in a leadership role here and brought some semblance of normalcy to the to this whole, you know, quote-unquote, like, return to normalcy conversation. Because right now we're not in a normal place. So to attack it like it's something, you know, to attack it like nothing is happening, like everything is normal and fine, is not the way to go about it. I agree with you completely there. And I think that was one of the things that I really uh, agreed with in, in your article that you mentioned that you posted earlier uh, this week on the Hustle Belt website, where it seems like, you know, over the last 20 years and even before that, that the Mac has really been kind of at the forefront of, of progress in college football, whether it be the innovation of, of a action and playing games on the weeknight or the fact that they've been around the longest as, you know, the longest group of five conference you know it's it seems like the mac is one of the is is a very progressive kind of forward thinking progress and i think this is just the 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 most recent you know example of that and it only shows kind of the dot it was you know the the dominoes that have fallen since then with the big 10 and the pac 12 following you james and and sam both i know you both were on the call with uh when, when the commissioner announced the uh the news last saturday Late last week, you know, we heard rumblings, like you mentioned, James, of maybe an eight plus two model or a nine plus one. What, on the call with the commissioner and listening to him speak, what kind of sense did you get? I mean, what was it that changed that really made the MAC really come forward with this decision? Um, I'll go first and I'll let James talk. For me, yeah, I was I, gonna say I was gonna let Sam go first. So, uh, for me, it seemed like, uh, like what he harped on. I don't know if you took this away, James. It was basically he harped on the fact that they, what the health officials basically said was that it's, it would, be, it would be hard to do a season. And what I, what, what frustrated me was I like that he did the press conference and wanna, but I want to see some kind of statistics backing up your findings like i want to see the breakdown of the cost i want to see the breakdown of the possible infection rate and it just seemed like i don't know about you james but like i was frustrated by the fact that they told us that um he they talked with health officials and that it was basically a no-go for student athletes and but i want to i want to see your kind of um data if you want to put it like I want to see why you couldn't go forward with the season like I respect the decision but I kind of want to see more kind of statistics than just saying uh our health officials told us not to do a season I think ultimately like I I understand where you're coming from and it is really frustrating to like hear these platitudes and then like not have anything to back them up and generally you know you know, having the background that I do, I am a political science minor by degree. Like you look at that, you can look at that with a healthy sense of skepticism. But ultimately, like uh, Commissioner Steinberger kept repeating, is this isn't like you know a he 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 like acknowledges it's not necessarily like a logical argument. He says like this is a very conservative path that we're taking. Like we understand that this might be a little too much right now. Like, but ultimately the decision laid in the principle of the matter. He's appealing to like the ethos of this whole argument of like, it doesn't matter ultimately like what the true numbers are or anything like that. What matters is ensuring as much as possible that we keep as many people 
healthy as possible. And, and that's really kind of what he was pushing through. And when it comes to the numbers, like, the problem with that is that every conference is going to present different numbers, ultimately, because every conference has different officials that they're talking to on a given basis. Like we're seeing that right now in the divide between the Big, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the rest of the Power Five conferences. And that, like, the Big Ten and the ACC essentially have the same information. And the Big Ten decided, no, we, ha we have to shut down immediately. We can't do this. Whereas ACC looked at the same set of data and said, no, we can figure out a way to do this. Like, there, there's no reason not to. So ultimately, it comes down, it does kind of come down to that. Whereas, like, even if we have the numbers in place, what matters to the numbers is the interpretation of the numbers. And in Commissioner Steinbrecher's interpretation, it was simply, we can't afford to do this, one, by financial, and two, we can't afford to do this from, like, a moral standpoint. Yeah. I, I, I certainly agree with that. And, and one thing that I, I guess a question that has been posed both in the media at large and even, you know, when I look at the, you know, our Twitter responses, when we had uh, asked Twitter what their thoughts were on the Mac canceling the season, um, we, we got a response here from, um, from Ricky Girding, who seemed to echo what, what some members of the media are saying, that he felt that, you know, the reasoning behind the postponement felt a little bit disingenuous in that there, they, there was no that, you know, they felt like it was more financially motivated, I suppose, as opposed to health and safety, you know, being the driving factor there. Now, Commissioner Steinbrecher did come out in his many media hits, whether it be on CNN or ESPN radio, where he, where he basically said, you know, you would be naive to not consider the financial ramifications of the Power Five conferences, like the Big Ten going conference only. Um, but he still really harped on the fact that this was a decision that was ultimately driven by health and safety. Um, I'll ask both of you, do you think that if the Big Ten and the, uh, and the Big 12 and, and, you know, some of these other conferences, do you think that if they wouldn't have gone to a conference-only model, do you think that the MAC makes the same decision if the buy games wouldn't have been taken away? That, that's, that's a tough question for me, just because um, if, if, like James said, it's true and they were focused on the ethical ramifications and worry about the health and safety then I would say they would still make the same decision regardless because it's still the same numbers and you're not if you're not motivated by finances then you shouldn't have a problem with canceling the season yeah it is it is kind of a tricky like line to walk there because you have to look at like just how much like the Mac was impacted by the Big Ten especially like, I think just in Big Ten games alone, the Mac lost something close to $10 million yeah. on that payday. So, like, if the Big Ten decides, well, you know, like, maybe we can do some non-conference games after all, that kind of changes the calculus a little bit. And that's, I think that's what Steinbrecher was referring to when he said, you know, like, it would be naive not to consider that. Because, you know, if you do end up getting that money for those payday games, maybe you can afford to do some more testing and maybe you can afford to be... You know, it, it can it can be a little easier to like do some of the things that you would need to do to be able to try and play as safely as possible. But ultimately, that wasn't the case. And when they looked at it, you know, from that aspect, they said, "Well, the only choice we have is not to play," which you know is a is a very good thing. And like, I think you know, even if they did end up, you know, like the Big Ten, SEC, and all of them ended up like doing the you know having their regular seasons or whatever, 
the Mac might still seriously consider canceling out just for the health of it. But, you know, it all just loops back around to it's really tricky when you have, like, so many different circumstances surrounding something. Yeah, it, it, there, there certainly are. So there's so many, you know, moving factors here um, that, that it's obviously a decision that was, um, you know, made on, on multiple levels. Now, obviously, the, the other big part of this here is that the MAC has said, as have the other conferences that have, have postponed their season, you know, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have come out um, after the MAC and, and said that they're going to not be playing football here in the fall. Now, the, the second part of this equation is the possibility of playing in the spring. Now, obviously, that's something that's, that's never been done before. And there's a lot of people wondering, you know, logistically, if, if these conferences are, are going to be able to pull that off. I mean, there's obviously in the MAC and the Big Ten's case, there's, there's the consideration of, of weather in the Midwest in, in, you know, January, February, even in the March, you're still looking at cold temperatures and a lot of snowfall in a lot of these areas. And then there's also the, the kind of the concerns of, you know, playing two seasons in one year, if you have a spring season and then a fall season after that. And then the third level there being, we don't know how much different things are going to look as it concerns this pandemic come January. So to both of you, what do you think the chances are that the MAC and some of these other conferences are indeed able to pull off a, a you know, a season in the spring? I, oh, I would... oh, before I, uh, sorry, uh, before I forget. Uh, something I just remembered while Zach was talking is that when it comes to like the varying the varying things that were happening in that equation, there might have been an issue if the Mac decided to go forward with the season because NIU was staunchly opposed to like playing in the fall, and that was a major part of those negotiations. Yeah, was that NIU said steadfastly we will not be playing if you decide to move forward. And I think that was also a major influence in the Max decision. But uh, Sam, uh, go ahead and talk about the spring. I did want to bring that up because that is a very important point. That is a valid point, yeah. But uh, back to your question about the chances of the spring season. To be frank, I'm not optimistic. I, I would say I'm more of an optimistic person than a pessimist. But in this case, I'm just not confident the MAC can get it done. When you look, they've had six months since the end of the conference tournaments when they decided to cancel and start to plan for this fall season, how they were going to get work. They didn't. So you so you want to tell me by giving them another five months, like that'll do anything? In my opinion, I don't think so. As well as you're planning on cramming basically two seasons in less than 10 months by having the spring model and then immediately going into fall. I don't see it getting done just yeah for those two reasons you're gonna have like a 10 game spring season and a 12 game fall season i just don't see it again getting it done yeah i was talking about this actually with uh mountain west wire when we were recording our podcast yesterday but like the issue that you're going to have when you're trying to schedule for a spring football season with the mac is that nine of the 12 members of the mac are in two states that are severely affected in Michigan and Ohio that have some of the heaviest restrictions in terms of like what you can and cannot do in those two states. One, and then two, when do you start your spring season? The spring semester typically starts in January and you're you're really gonna ask these players to go out there in January and February, two of the worst snow months, like to go out and play football on a truncated season? like. 
I, I realize that's being very fatalistic on my part, but like at some point that does have to be like taken into account that you still have a whole other season to play like in fall of 21. So like the start date is very important in terms of, like when you start your football season one and then two, what does that season look like? Uh, I know Jeremy was talking about it on Mountain West Fire where he was like, well, maybe you could do like a six game season where you have like two week buys between each game or even some insane, like a month between each game and play like four games, you know, just like, you know, something more or less like the NFL's preseason just to get some games in, get some tape for the NFL draft or whatever. But, you know, like January might be too early to start it. March might be too late to start it. So that's going to be a lot of the calculus that conferences are going to be looking at when it comes to a spring season. And I'm just not sure that they're really going to get it together. Yeah, I I tend to agree with both of you. I think it would be incredibly hard to to pull off because of a lot of the the factors that you already mentioned. There's been uh, something floating around on Twitter here today. I'm not sure if either of you had, had seen it, but Jeff Braum, the, uh, the head coach of, of Purdue had kind of floated a pr- proposal out there that I guess the Big Ten is, uh, is looking at right now and considering in terms of starting a season at the end of February and running until the, uh, the middle of April and then turning around in, in June and July and, and getting ready for the next fall season. I just don't see how that's realistic in my opinion. And I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. I mean, if, if, if you're going to tell us that they made this decision based on player safety, I don't understand how playing, you know, potentially 20 games in a calendar year is is safe for any of these players. Yeah, and, and I get the whole reason, like, you want to um, basically like what James said, like the, the draft eligible players trying to get out tape and whatnot. But like you said, it's not safe for the players. You got to think of injuries. You got to think of uh, – What's the what's the uh, situation going on with COVID? You got to think of all these things that we don't really have answers to. There's not a vaccine yet. Uh, cases are still going on. It's just it's just ludicrous for me to believe that the MAC can get something done or the NCAA in general. Yeah, I, w- I would tend to agree with you there, Sam. So uh, another thing that's come out of the, the, the Max cancellation here on Saturday is over the last few days, you, you've seen a lot of Mac players come out um, as a part of this Mac United movement where, you know, you had, I, I know I, Terry Myrick uh, from Eastern Michigan and a bunch of other uh, football players in the Mac had, had, had posted about this where they commended the, um, the conference for putting player safety first, but then they did have some asks of the conference moving forward. A big part of that being, you know, medical red shirts for all athletes affected by these cancellations and, you know, including the seniors. I, I you know, in my mind, that just make, that makes a lot of sense to, to give these affected students an extra year of availability, or I should say eligibility, excuse me, what are, what are your thoughts on that, James? I mean, do you, do, you, do you feel that that's likely to happen, that a lot of these, you know, fall athletes are going to be granted that extra year? Oh, the Mac's generally very good in their relationship with student-athletes. So, like, when the Mac United stuff was coming out there and I read kind of what they were demanding, more or less, I was like, yeah, that'll work. I think they'll get that. Yeah. It's just that most – the problem is, is that, like, most of it is going to come down to what the NCAA – like decides upon August 21st. And as we've seen, the NCAA is not exactly the most proactive or forward thinking organization when it comes to like student athletes and eligibility rights. I think I saw a proposal where it was like, if a student 
athlete plays 50% or plays less than 50% of what a normal season would entail or something like that, they get eligibility, which sounds insane to me that you like, he would still have to play just for the opportunity to like be able to maybe get an extra year. So like, I, I think ultimately like they're asking for the right things. And I think the conference wants to give them those things. It, I think at this point though, it's like beyond the max ability to hand them it. If that makes sense. It's, it's all up to the NCAA. And that's what Steinbrecher has said. He's like, he, he sympathizes, but like it's up to the NCAA. And I, and I will say the demands, they don't seem unreasonable. Like the NCAA is trying to find the name likeness and whatever, and whether you agree with that or not, that may be ludicrous in some minds, but what they're asking for in this situation, whether it's the red shirt, I don't think that's kind of ridiculous to give them. I don't think uh, clear, like clear communication should be the number one priority with, um, with the uncertainty going on. I feel like that's not, I don't know about you guys and what you think, but I don't think these demands are too unrealistic to grant in my mind. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sam. I think, honestly, though, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised by anything that the NCAA did right now. I'll, if I'm going to get up on my soapbox for a second here, I think my biggest Yeah, feel free to do it, man. You know, I think my biggest takeaway from this entire situation is um, I don't mean to sound harsh here, but I, I think the NCAA has really shown how worthless they are throughout this whole situation. The fact that they had six months to help prepare their conferences for this and really their only strategy that they had was to hope that the virus goes away, I think is absurd. I think their, their lack of direction that they've given to the conferences, I think their lack of leadership, their lack of any decision-making or any willingness to make any tough decisions in these hard times is, is ridiculous. I mean, even, even when it comes to this eligibility stuff, you know, there was uh, the, the thing, I'm sure you guys saw yesterday that the, the NCAA had previously said they'd make a ruling on all this eligibility stuff by tomorrow, the 14th. And then they already came out and said that that's going to be delayed. And it's going to be another week until they make any decisions on their eligibility. I mean, all of this stuff is, it's just, it's insane to me. There's no uniformity. There's been no leadership from the NCAA. It just, it really blows my mind. I mean, if you want to call yourself the governing body of college athletics, how can you not provide any type of leadership or direction throughout this whole, throughout this whole situation? It's, it's really mind boggling to me. And quite frankly, if, if, College football getting canceled in the fall of 2020 leads to significant changes within the NCAA and how the NCAA governs sports. I think to me, that would be one heck of a silver lining because the NCAA, again, to me, has really shown that there, there's really, there's no leadership being provided there. Sorry, end of rant. Yeah, that, yeah that's what I was, that, that, good, good rant, by the way. I enjoyed every second of it. <laughs> Uh, that, that's kind of what I was alluding to at the end of my column the other day was like, we're in the midst of like the thing collapsing, like yes. what, what happens next? You know, like when we're shifting through the rubble, trying to figure out where it all went wrong is like, well, what now? So like, you know, if we have to sacrifice a whole season of like college sports, and it, it is college sports. We use football a lot in these discussions. But it's, you know, it really encompasses all sports. Yes. You know, like the next step that we have to take is a step that is more fair. 
know, to the student athletes that help make the, you know, make, help make the whole traveling circus go. So I, I certainly get that. And, you know, the NCAA has operated like this for, God, 50 years. You know, everything will just more or less be okay type deal. That The problem is that, like, nobody wants to be the first. Or nobody wants to be, like, the conference with the worst reaction or something like that. It, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of cowardice on many levels when, yeah. it, when it comes to that kind of thing. And the thing that frustrates me, like, I agree with every single one of your points, Zach. It's just, like, I, I agree with the decision to let um, conferences make their own calls on whether they want to play or not. And I respect that because each state is different and each conference is different. But at the same time, like, I don't think I've heard any kind of guidance from the NCAA during this six months. Like, what plan have they put in place? What have they done what has Mark Emmerich done to warrant his a million dollar plus salary? Like, honestly, like we're in a crisis here. We're in a pandemic where no one knows basically what to do. And he's supposed to be the leader leading us into battle. And at the same time, I just feel like we don't have anybody. We're, we're basically just uh, like sitting in the corner doing nothing. Uh, that salary is uh, $4 million, by the way, I believe. $4 million times. <laughs> that, yep. that is absolutely insane. Hey, NCAA, if you're listening, I will do the same job. I can provide just as good a leadership as Mark Emmert did for one-tenth of that salary. So if, if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'd be happy to talk to you. Um, Negotiations so, start there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one other thing. Uh, so just to bring this, this back to more so of, of the effect on you know on the field is obviously now with with some conferences having postponed their fall season and and some conferences still moving forward. There is this. There is the the possibility of of players you know, wanting to transfer to schools that are still going to be playing in the fall. We had the first example of this uh, in the Mac here just the other day where Anton Dixon from Kent State um, entered the transfer portal. He was he was their fourth leading uh, receiver last year for the Golden Flashes. He had 34 catches and just over 300 yards. Do you guys get the sense that there are going to be some Mac players, some more Mac players that might try to defect from their current schools and, and try to get some, some more tape here in the fall. You know, guys that might be looking to improve their draft stock or their chances of, of making a roster in the NFL at some point down the line. Do, do you feel like a lot of Mac players might, might be looking for opportunities to still play here in the fall at other schools? Um, uh, for me, I think, I think it all depends on if the Big 12 and ACC actually go through with playing a season. I think players are going to wait and see because there's no point in transferring now and then two months later the ACC cancels the season and you did that transferring for nothing when you need your tape or whatever. So I think, I think athletes are going to wait. And if they are truly like going to play, then I would say we, we would see a couple more players um, come out. I don't know about you, James, but for right now I don't see more players, a lot of players transferring. Right, and by the way, Antoine Dixon. If you want, if you want a, an idea of how long Antoine Dixon has been at Kent State, I started writing at Hustle Belt like his freshman year in two thousand fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, and he he's still around. He missed, I think. Well, he missed two seasons due to injury, right? Because he was just granted a six. He did. He, he he missed two seasons due to like a very rare blood disorder that nearly took his life. Dude is a fighter. Yeah, like I've I've always loved Antoine Dixon, 
you know, he's he's really been through the ringer at Kent State, you know, both personally and like that team was miserable. Like yeah. when he first when he first got there, it was like two years off of the uh, MAC championship game appearance, and that team was bad. Yeah, and you know he had to go through all of that, then go through the personal troubles, and then he came back like right when Kent State is finally you know like turning the page. So like, you know, our seventh year super senior, you know Antoine Dixon, you know I don't blame him for going out and like trying to find a new home because like you said, he's the fourth leading receiver and you know, they have such a young receiving core. It can't stay. He probably got pushed out. So like, again, I don't blame him for trying to find a new opportunity, but in terms of like other Mac players transfer, I think that there is two more that joined today, including a uh, punter from Ekron's roster. And then I have a, a defensive back from Northern Illinois. I think Antoine Walker. Yes. Antoine Walker. Also enter the portal. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. The way that the portal works is that you don't have to ask permission from your coach anymore to be able to enter the portal, but you also don't have to leave. So I think this is kind of a thing where some players are going to test the waters a bit and kind of see you know where they are in terms of interest levels. Like if they think there's an opportunity for them to play, you know, at like a higher level then they might take it. Or if there's an opportunity for them to play, at, well, the lower levels are all at this point. I think they only leave if they are essentially guaranteed to be able to play. And I think at this rate, we're not going to be playing. So, I mean, like the notable exception here is Tony Polgen, who transferred to Virginia well before the Mac canceled. And I think that was more, that was more of a needing to build the NFL profile move certainly than anything yeah Uh, james one more question for you here before we let you go and and this uh comes back to one of our other twitter responses that we got when we posed this question um to to our fans on the internet um we had big daddy z uh responded to us and felt like by the mac doing this there's a chance that the conference or at least some of the schools might have to move down a level to FCS and start competing at the FCS level. Obviously, you know, with the Mac being, you know, kind of at the lower end of, of the FBS uh, level and, and some schools that, you know, don't have quite the budgets uh, to compete with some of, you know, the, the larger conferences and, and larger schools. Do you feel like that might be a realistic possibility where there might be some schools in the Mac that might have to drop down? Oh Lord, I've been talking about this for six years now (laughs) like since i basically got to the site like will the mac drop down the fcs you know will you know it's always a a team du jour is this team du jour gonna drop to you know the fcs like one year it might be eastern the next year it's kent state the next year it's bowling green It, it it's just this is something that's always surrounded the mac in particular i don't really know why i but you know it the financials can't be denied. Like the Mac by far is the most subsidized of the FBS conferences when it comes to their athletic budgets. I know, uh, for example, Central Michigan has a budget of around 10 million. I think it's like 9.9 or something like that with about 75% of their monies coming from subsidizing. So like student fees that are attached to tuition or otherwise budgeted towards that 
the buy games they would have had this year with Nebraska and Northwestern would have garnered something like $2.5 million towards the athletic budget to make up the other 25%. So like that that's the state that a lot of MAC teams are in right now. But when it comes to like dropping the entire MAC down to the FCS, that's bonkers. It's insane. I have gone on record and said this for like six years that it's not going to happen. There's just too many implications. Like teams are already spending, you know, like because it's not just the level of competition that we have to take into consideration here. It's the TV contracts. Like right now, the Mac has an excellent TV, well, excellent for a group of five, excellent like TV contract that kind of favors them and and gives them like unique advantages that other G5s don't have because they were forward thinking enough in the 90s to be able to position themselves for that. They've always been on the cutting edge of innovation in that way. They realized, you know, back then that FBS is the way to go because you're going to be able to get the money for that. If you drop down to the FCS, that money ain't there anymore. One. And two, like the NCAA is more restrictive on like, you know, when you get down to the lower divisions, there's not as much freedom as there is at, say, the FBS level. And then there's a prestige drop, too. Uh, I, I talked about it in the column where, you know, like, the MAC wasn't the first conference to cancel. Like, you know, Division, you know, FCS, Division Two, Division Three were all canceling well before the MAC did. But, like, we don't care. Like, we don't care about the smaller divisions. Like, even at FCS, like, we don't really care about those guys unless, they, unless they're, like, a first-round draft prospect. They're just these nameless, faceless soldiers that get in the way of, you know, our FBS teams having success. And, you know, to a certain degree, if you drop down to FCS, that's what your school becomes. You know, it's just this nameless, faceless place out in, you know, BFE land that nobody cares about. Like, at the very least, you know, like, even the NCAA games, like, once you got to a, once you got to the new gen games with the PS3 and the Xbox 360, they dropped the FCS teams. Because it was too much data to keep them around, even though they're technically in Division One, just like FBS. So, like that's the that's the risk that you stand to lose more than anything. Like college athletics is a recruiting tool, not only for athletes to come to your school, but also for students to come to your school. Like part of the reason why I knew about Central Michigan was because the Dan Lefevre teams, the Dan Lefevre, Antonio Brown, Brian Anderson, you know Butch Kelly. Brian, you know, Butch Kelly. I just combined two coaches there. (laughs) Brian Kelly, Butch (laughs) Jones teams. Like, that's part of the reason why I knew that, like, Central even existed. And that was part of the appeal for me when I decided ultimately to go there is that they've got Division I athletics. And, like, that's really cool that that's, like, an hour away from my house. Like, there is no denying, like, that the pros of being in the FBS outweigh cons even if those cons are fairly significant i couldn't agree more i i, I think it's a, a an un, very very unlikely uh scenario i think the mac has uniquely positioned itself in the fbs as kind of that you know that plucky conference as you call them in, in your article that that you know plays on weeknights and you know people enjoy watching you know on tuesday nights and wednesday nights in november and, and i can't imagine any of the schools in the mac wanting to uh wanting to give that up 
Well, James, we appreciate you stopping by and, and talking with us here today. We always appreciate it when you drop by. You always bring great information and, and uh, some great energy to the podcast. So uh, we thank you for stopping by and sharing your thoughts with us. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to come on. Awesome. Thank you so much, James. Well, uh, guys, before we move on here to our next segment, uh, where we're going to talk, be talking about the, uh, the Mac mascot bracket challenge that we've had going on Twitter. Wanted to talk to you real quick about uh, Home Field Apparel. Home Field Apparel is the premier direct-to-customer clothier for college sports fans, and Hustle Belt has partnered with them for an exclusive line of Hustle Belt t-shirts. Pick up your Tuesday night or Jolly Blogger shirt on homefieldapparel.com right now, and you can save 20% of your entire first purchase using the promo code Hustle, that's H-U-S-T-L-E. Every shirt you buy helps us out at the blog, and you'll feel good too, thanks to Homefield's exclusive 52% cotton, 48% polyester blend. Rep the best little blog in the Midwest today by going to homefieldapparel.com and using the promo code HUSTLE. All right, guys. So over the past week here, uh, we've had the Mac mascot challenge raging on Twitter. We posted the uh, the bracket last week, and we were blown away by the response. We got almost 500 votes on some of these matchups here this week. So we thank you for really turning out and supporting your your respective mascots of your schools. So Sam, we had uh, three matchups this week uh, here in the initial in the initial round. Can you tell us uh, what the matchups were, who's moving on, and, and who those winners are going to be facing this coming week? Yeah, we got an exciting matchup. You guys turned out, and we hope the support continues. So keep voting. We're going to do this each week until we crown the true mask, Mac mascot champion. So keep supporting your favorite team. It sucks that we had to eliminate some. But we got to find out who's the best mascot in the Mac. So here we go. For, to play the number one seed, again, this was randomly generated, and this is what it spit out. To play the number one seed, Victory E. Bull, um, out of Buffalo, we have the eight and nine matchup of Buster Bronco versus Swoop. This Swoop is the Eastern Michigan one, not the uh, Red Hawk one, which I believe is the third seed, so you will be able to vote on that next matchup. Uh, we got it was it wasn't pretty it wasn't really close drunk buster uh, came in with a vengeance and he he took it away his fans came to support him Buster Bronco won 63.9 percent of the vote swoop had a respectable I would say 36.1 percent of the vote did not get it done there was a total of 382 votes on that bracket so to move on buster bronco the eighth seed will move on to play the number one seed in victory evil the next matchup we got we got the 710 matchup i know uh zach you probably know all about the number 10 upsets and how that happens in march madness it didn't happen this time unfortunately rufus the bobcat versus flash the golden eagle flash the golden eagle coming from kent state rufus the bobcat representing ohio this is to play the uh, number two seed in Zippy. We have Rufus the Bobcat dominating with 75.3% of the vote versus uh, Flash the Golden Eagles, 24.7% of the vote. 332 votes on that one. So it will be once again, Rufus versus Zippy and um, Buster Bronco 
versus Buffalo for next week's next week's matchup. Now our final first round matchup, we had the 6-11 matchup. We had Freddy the Falcon coming from Bowling Green, and then we had Mission uh, coming from Northern Illinois. Freddy the Falcon didn't really step up his game. 25%, six, uh, 25.6% of the vote, only one-fourth of the vote to Mission's 74.4% domination win. And this was our leader in the most votes, almost 500 with 481 votes. So Mission will be going on to play uh, the number three seed Swoop, the Red Hawk. That is our final three matchups. Thank you guys so much for supporting. So our next round is set. I will quickly run them down for you. We got the number one seed playing Buster Bronco, the number one versus A matchup. Uh, both Ball State and Toledo got a bye just for the uh, fact that we had 11 teams and not 12 teams. So we got Rocky the Rocket playing Charlie Cardinal next week. Uh, we've got Zippy playing uh, Rufus the Bobcat. That will be an exciting matchup to watch the number two versus number seven team. And then we got the number three, the other uh, uh, swoop, Swoop the Red Hawk playing Mission. Woo! That was a lot to talk about. Uh, Zach, do you have any takeaways from this matchup after I just rambled off all that? No, that was great, man. I tell you what, um, after watching the the way that Northern Illinois fans turned out last week, even though Mission is the 11 seed in this bracket here, man, I got to feel like they're the favorite moving forward after the way that the, the, the Husky K4 really came out on Twitter uh, last week and, and really, really, I mean, it was a blowout from the beginning against Freddie the Falcon from BGSU. So um, that's kind of, that's partially me congratulating the Northern Illinois fans. That's also partially me kind of calling out uh, the Miami, Ohio fans. If, if you want Swoop the Red Hawk to advance this week, you guys are really going to need to show out because the NIU faithful have proven that they can really bring it. Same thing with, uh, with Zippy the Zip uh, from Akron. I, I picked Zippy as my favorite mascot last week just because of, of the uniqueness of, you know, the kangaroo there. But I tell you what, Ohio fans also really came out last week and supported Rufus the Bobcat. So um, I'm curious to see how some of these, uh, these schools and these mascots that had buys last week, I'm really curious to see how these fans turn out because uh, a couple of these fan bases like Northern Illinois and and um and ohio and and even buster the bronco from western michigan as well you guys really showed out last week and and so i think you guys got some momentum behind you it's going to be interesting to see how these mascots that had a buy in the first round are going to come out this week and and if you remember on twitter we had some niu fans unhappy that they were an 11 seed so they better bring it to show why they deserved a higher spot and not to mention i'm excited to watch uh buster the bronco go up against the Buffalo Bull, the number one seed. We could have a potential upset on that hands. Uh, Drunk Buster on Twitter was not very happy with us putting them at number eight seed. But let I want I want to see the support next week from, from you guys. Show why your team deserves to be the champion. And, yeah, let's keep this rolling. I believe we had over 1,100 votes uh, going on across three votes. Let's make it, let's make it even bigger. We've got four matchups this time. Four amazing, uh, well, it would be eight teams, eight amazing mascots. Show your support. Let us know who you think should win each matchup. And, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for this segment.
It's going to be great. So the, the, the new matchups will be posted uh, tomorrow, or I should say Friday, when the podcast comes out. So everyone, make sure you're following us on Twitter and make sure you're following along with the bracket and vote uh, in those polls as soon as they go up. And Sam, you mentioned uh, the number one seed there, uh, Victory Bull from Buffalo. Well, speaking of Buffalo, coming up here on our next segment, uh, we have a couple gentlemen from the, uh, the Bullet Points blog. They're covering all things Buffalo sports. We interviewed them about the current state of the Buffalo athletic program, uh, a lot about the football team and the basketball team there. Stick around for that. But before we get to that interview with the Bullet Points blog, uh, if you're looking for some suggestions for what to drink this weekend while watching sports or winding down the evening after a hard day of working from home, uh, the Hustle Belt is here to help with Belt's Beer Garden. Uh, every week, our very own Dave Drury tastes craft beer from around the country and breaks down the profiles like a true expert sommelier. Check out hustlebelt.com every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern for his latest recommendation or follow on Instagram at Belt's Beer Garden for 24-7 updates. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the, uh, the podcast. Uh, here for this, uh, this next segment, we got some, uh, some special guests with us here. We got a couple members of the, uh, the the Bullet Points website and blog with us. Uh, we have uh, Mike Bunt, uh, Ty B, and and Kevin Masari with us, uh, joining us uh, from from upstate New York. So, Mike, Ty, Kevin, how you guys doing tonight? Doing good. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, just watching some Jays baseball live right now, sitting in the Seneca One Tower, enjoying life, having some sports back. I know we're not going to get college football right away with the MAC, but. We're getting back to some sort of normalcy, so that's all we can really uh, keep rooting for. Don't don't let them take over the Jays. I mean, we're it's it's <laughs> just because they're playing in Buffalo. That's it's Canada, <laughs> my man. Sorry, we're not we're not Yankees fans. We're in Buffalo. <laughs> Toronto's way closer. Kev, get this garbage out of here. We'll talk about it another day. <laughs> <laughs> just just wanted to make sure we don't uh, we don't go to Toronto Blue Jays here. <laughs> I saw something earlier. What is it? The first major league game in Buffalo in like a hundred something years. Yeah. Over, over a hundred years. Yeah. Real cool. Really cool. Well, um, we appreciate you guys taking some time to, to, uh, to chat with us tonight. We obviously just wanted to get a, you know, a little bit of a Buffalo perspective on everything that's gone on here uh, with, with the Mac over the last few days. Um, What's the feeling like around, you know, you know, with Buffalo around the program around campus after the, the announcement that the Mac made on Saturday, obviously canceling football season and all fall sports? I mean, it's grim. It's grim right now. Um, you know, you had some of our key players come out and express their, their concerns. I mean, you had Patterson basically say like, hey, you know, we'll see what's next for me. Um, I think the announcements across the country on different conferences um, making their announcements as well has kind of eased the blow for them. Um, you had, you know, one of our, you know, Starks. Um, there, there's been issues across the board. I mean, I've talked to some players um, personally, and they're, they're concerned. Um, they're concerned about their futures. They don't know if they can sit out. I mean, there's been a lot of talks. Can these guys sit out? Um, you know, they're looking to, to – you know, UB has a bunch of draft picks, and they're looking yeah. to potentially play this year. And if, if divisions are playing – um, are they going to go play there? That's, I think, the biggest concern right now out of Buffalo. And if not, guys, I think the bigger, you know, one of the bigger concerns is can they use this as a sit-out year? If 
know college football is playing anyways. Can these guys sit out because they're going to not play anyways and then be eligible um, the second uh, college football starts back up next year? It might be a better time for them to transfer. So Leipold's got his hands full right now, making sure none of that happens. You know, it's, it's looking pretty good right now. Um, with everything. And um, once again, you know, you, then you sorry, I meant Marks. Kevin Marks came out and, and said uh, he was looking to stay in Buffalo. You know, he's, he's built it here. Um, so that, that's really good to hear one of our best players and, and leaders, uh, you know, running back 1B, for instance, say that he's going to stay yeah. here. So, um, you know, bounce it to Mike to see what, you know, kind of he took away from that announcement. Yeah. So my, my opinion right now, it, it's kind of depressing. I mean, it's, I mean, obviously the situation you, health and safety come first and the university presidents have to do what's right uh, for the schools and the safety of the players. But in my opinion, this is the most talented UB team in terms of talent uh, that they've ever had in their entire division one history. You're talking guys like uh, Malcolm Kuntz, Riggins, uh, uh, Marks, you got Jarrett Patterson, you got his brother. Honestly, like I, I know UB's had a lot of good players like, uh, Khalil Mack and Brandon Oliver and James Starks. But if you're talking like overall talent spread across the field, like this was UB's year. And, and really the only question mark for me was, who, were they going to get improved quarterback play? And if they got that, like this was going to be a really special season. So I think they're a little bit bummed that it's robbed from them and they don't know if they're going to get that chance to ever have it uh, together. But that, that's really the initial feeling right now. It's just kind of the disappointing fact that who knows if they'll ever be on the field together uh, as a unit uh, again with all this mess. Yeah, and it, it hurts, especially, you know, as a small, you know, mid-major type program. You got to think about all the financial issues that are come from this, at least, you know, the Murphy family generously, you know, put up the money for the field house that so you're not going to be hurting necessarily from that really. Um, but most of these athletic departments are spending money as quickly as it comes in, which is sort of the issue. They don't have any of this money, you know, saved up uh, a rainy day fund, if you will. And without centralized direction from the NCAA right now uh, regarding basically anything like uh, Kev brought up the issue of eligibility. That's a huge thing. Uh, these spring players were able to keep a year of eligibility but it was sort of up to the schools um, about whether they wanted to extend the uh, scholarships or not. So there's going to be a lot of questions for a lot of these teams that they're going to have to answer. And you just got to hope, you know, for all these guys, it works out well because, you know, they've already mentioned, you know, some of these big names, but you have other guys like Eddie Wilson, Gaddafi, Wright, Tyrone Hill, um, Antonio Nunn, guys who are right, you know, maybe on the cusp right now being able to get into a camp at the end of the season, um, if they had good years, you know, does, does that throw everything off or do they have to come and stay another year? So there's just so many un unanswered questions right now that it, it just leaves, you know, just a big question mark in the air. And is it positivity? Is it negativity? It just depends how you take it right now. You guys mentioned you had a bunch of kind of NFL draft picks in the waiting. So let's, let's just say like, Let's like I'm gonna be honest. I don't think spring 2021 is happening. That's just my opinion. I don't know what you guys think, but so moving forward, do you think Lance Leipold has put the like Buffalo program in a situation to succeed long term, or are you guys just gonna uh, have a bunch of draft picks leave or transfer whatever it is and kind of kind of de decline a little bit? Well. I think you'll, you may get a different answer from each one of us. So um, <laughs> I think for myself, 
Um, Leipold has a lot to prove to me in the recruiting category. He's had a really good class come in for 2021. It's probably been his, honestly been his best class recruiting. Um, you know, they're getting recruit after recruit. So that's a really good sign um, that he's landing recruits. Um, they're higher starred players than usually we get. Um, he's been pretty good at building the offensive line. The, the offensive line has been good here in Buffalo. Uh, I think they allowed a sack on Tyree Jackson. Um and they were pretty good last year as well. So uh, he's, he's done a good job there. But I can't. I got to be remiss to say in 2019, they had the, the last ranked class um, in the MAC. 2018, uh, they did as well. They were the 12th ranked MAC class per 24-7, uh, two, uh, 247. So I, I think he's gotten a lot of his players, and, and I respect him as a coach. Um, they've had some mental lapses late in games. They've, had, they've, they've blown some really bad leads, uh, as many who followed the MAC championship uh, last year. Uh, you know, a year and a half ago now and realized. So I think he's got his hands full. Um, but 2021 is a good, it's a good sign. If they can keep the recruits that they've got, I think they're third ranked right now in, in the Mac, um, which is a big step up because he's getting a lot out of his guys that, that I will say um, the team plays really hard for him. Um, and they, you know, they do a good job around him. So, and I mean, and I think the, you know, the other guys on here are probably a little more optimistic. Um, I'm not quite pessimistic. I don't think that's the proper. I think he gets, once again, he gets a lot out of these guys. And I think the program is on the rise. Um, they've already landed some good recruits, like I mentioned. So um, I think there's a lot to be proud of. Can they keep these guys? You know, Ty mentioned, what's the financial burden here? Um, there's always going to be talks in Buffalo that it's, that it's a pro sports town. Um, there's always some worry that conference shuffling could happen. And we've always wanted to be increased in conference. We've thought, you know, with our basketball program, the way that it is and how strong that it's been and how dominant in the Mac it's been lately and, and, and producing big time um, uh, D one coaches and power five. Um, I think that they're, they'd like to take a step up to a different conference. However, the reality states that are they going to go the St. Bonaventure route and go to one FCS or, you know, what's going to happen here. And this, this, this is scary to me guys um, that what could happen, but Leipold's a great coach in terms of getting the most out of his players. Can his recruiting match that 2021 is a good sign with, with the rankings. Um, they've landed some already top guys. So, you know, you know, Mike probably will take it from there and then, and then increase the positivity from there. But <laughs> I think that that's a really realistic view to me. I don't think that was overly negative or really positive. So um, that's, that's just kind of how I, how I've seen in the last few years. That was the most positive I've heard Kev talk about Leipold my entire life. Uh, <laughs> we, we have a, a fire. Uh, there's a fire Leipold hashtag that I've heard before, but he didn't mention that there. Uh, but uh, that 2021 uh, class is good, Mike. That's what it is. It <laughs> honestly is it's as good right of a now. class as he's ever had uh, combined. Maybe he's gotten a lot out of Patterson's, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't state there and they, the teams have been good, but um, I, I don't think it's going to last if he doesn't start landing recruits and you're, 2021 you're, showed it. You're too far away from that Kent state debacle <laughs> from <laughs> what, last year right now. But which uh, one? No, <laughs> you know, you know what one, the bad one. Uh, oh, <laughs> the football one. Yeah, don't um, get me started. <laughs> but uh, my view is, I, I like Lance Leipold. Uh, to me, uh, and the bullet points, people hate me when I say this. He, he's similar to to Frank Solich, and to there's good and bad with that. The good is that I think both of those coaches they find a way to uh, get the most out of the talent that they bring on to their their team, just like Kev uh, alluded to. So. Leipold builds a team, he coaches them up, and he gets them to uh, the, the best of their ability. So you know when your guys are going to be juniors and seniors, you're going to be looking at a team that's going to try to get eight-plus wins, and, and that's nice. The only worry about it is, is you be at that point where when they have to reload after a, se a senior-heavy class, 
uh, moves on, are they still good enough to win five games or six games after that? I think we saw with uh, Tyree leaving and some of the talent that they lost a year ago that they actually were pretty good after losing a considerable amount of talent last year. And that was encouraging uh, for me because UB has had three straight bowl eligible seasons for the first time in their history. I think he's starting to build this team uh, for consistency. And I think as a result, we're seeing the recruiting get better. And I think the more and more you have guys like, uh, uh, like James Patterson, Jarrett Patterson and Kevin Marks and all these guys like Tyree Jackson get the spotlight. It's only going to help the program kind of put itself uh, on a higher level compared to the rest of the Mac, because I think UB at its top does have advantages compared to the rest of the conference. But it, a lot of it, like Kev said, is all going to come down to what happens with uh, their star players, these guys that are about to be juniors and have a couple years eligibility left. Because if guys like Patterson go and they have some other players follow them, it could take two, three years for Lightpole to build the team back up the way he wants to, to get to that seven, eight, nine win potential. But if they stay, I see no reason why they can't win like seven to 10 games for the next three, four years going forward, the way he builds a roster. And I think a lot is, you know, just sort of overly made about recruiting rankings, especially when you're talking about these mid-major schools, because you got to look at it. Almost all these guys are ranked between, you know, three, two, three stars. And there's very, you know, sort of little gaps between these guys. They're almost all pretty much on the same level. So at that point, it all depends on your development and your actual levels of coaching. Can you get the most out of the players? Can you put them in the best places to succeed? And that's exactly what Lance Leipold does. And that's what he's done for his entire career. You look at what he did at Wisconsin Whitewater for the amount of time he was able to get that success and to win all those championships you know he's developing players yes like you you get that notoriety among d3 like you're gonna get more players to keep coming but that's what you see right now with ub he's started to mold a long-term model of success and by getting guys to the league the way that they have um you look at damone harris a walk-on guy who didn't even have a scholarship ends up earning a scholarship ends up you know um being an undrafted free agent, gets his way onto a team, bounces around, gets to the Chiefs, wins a Super Bowl. Things like that are huge um, when you're a mid-major school to prove that no matter who you are, that you're coming there and you can possibly still succeed and live out your dreams to the highest potential. And Lance instills that in his players, and I think that's one of the reasons why they're going to continue to succeed under him. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, Kevin, you, you had mentioned in your answer, you, you mentioned a little bit of, of the success that the men's basketball team has had here over the last couple of years at Buffalo. And, and I wanted to ask about the basketball program as well. What's the feeling around the, the kind of the state of the program there with the basketball team? I think, you know, obviously you go back going back to 2015 when you had Bobby Hurley and then he leaves to go to Arizona State. They promote Nate Oates. Nate Oates leaves to go to Alabama. And then Jim Whitesell gets promoted now. So what, what's kind of the state of the program under, under Jim Whitesell? I think, you know, anytime you promote an assistant coach up to the head man, you know, I think we've all seen that kind of go both ways um, with, with the program. So what's kind of the state of the program around uh, the, the Bulls uh, basketball team right now? Is this something, is there a sense that the success recently is sustainable? Yeah, I mean, Look, they had success promoting their top guy in Nate Oates. And I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm a big Nate Oates fan. Um, you know, know him, you know, met him, you know, interviewed him. You know, we've talked to him many times. Big fan of Nate Oates. Um, big fan of his coaching staff that he, that he put together. Uh, Coach Q, who's still here. 
um, as, as one of our top assistants, as well as, you know, coach Brian Hodgson, who's now the lead recruiter in Alabama, uh, doing big things over there, recruiting some big names, keeping some big names going. So, um, you know, there was a big UB battle between, should they go get a power five assistant? Should they promote whites or should they promote coach B? Um, it was a pretty big contingent people on all three of those levels. Um, so it was, you know, it was, I don't want to say contested, but they did go out and hire a search firm um, to, to help them like they did in their AD search, like they've done before. Um, they ended up keeping the internal candidate, led some questions around, well, why did we go out and hire an, uh, a search firm and then just, just hire our top assistant? One thing that um, Jim Weitzel done a really good job at is not lose players. That's probably his number one category. You know, he had some top end recruits and Jonathan Williams, uh, Ronaldo Segu, who stayed around um, the program, um, big, bigger recruits. You know, we, we mentioned, you know, what's the difference between these two and three star guys. But for Buffalo was recruiting three star um, basketball players at a, at a high clip. And these guys had a lot of potential, a lot of notoriety, a lot of Instagram followings. Um, and they're, they're helping this program recruit. Um, so, he was able to do that. The um, on the on the court performance last year wasn't great, guys. They got bounced by um, by Miami, Ohio in the five versus twelve game, leading to this. Didn't happen. <laughs> uh, cancel, you can cancel, cancel the match tournament cancel. all you want. That game still <laughs> happened, and they got bounced at home um, in a, in a sleepy crowd. No one was there. Um, the excitement wasn't there because no one was really interested in watching a five versus twelve MAC tournament game at home. It's a little disappointing to see that, that there was no momentum. Um, this is right before COVID happened, as Ty alluded to there. Um, so there, there, there's some momentum and some, some optimism because the recruiting class is so strong. No one's, no one left. Um, they have some, some top end guys from Juco coming in, um, in Lake Zachary. Um, so, so there's, there's, there's some really promising behavior here. We just need to see. Um, so the recruiting strong. Now it's kind of the opposite of Leipold. Now I need to kind of see that happen on the court. There was some questionable um, minute being given out last year. Um, there were some weird things going on. So we need to see these guys really put it together. Javon Graves is back. Uh, Josh and ball is here. Um, there's, there's some really strong, you know, Saguj and Nathan Williams. It, it is probably with Bowling Green, the top of the, of the conference right now. Um, they're going to be right there. Can they put it together and not drop games that they shouldn't drop? They haven't beaten NIU in, in, in decades, even under Oates and even under Hurley. Um, so we're going to see if they can finally um, put everything together, not as many uh, mental lapses as they did last year and uh, stop turning the ball over. So, I mean, um, you know, we'll bounce, we'll, no pun intended, bounce it to Mike to see if he, you know, has any additional thoughts. Yeah, so Kevin, uh, all last year said I was too optimistic about UB uh, at times. And I think on hindsight, he was right. And that was, uh, I, I was wrong. Uh, I really thought coming off of all their success the last couple of years that UB was going to have another monster year last year. I, I fell in love with the, the recruits, the three stars and, uh, some of the the four stars with Jonathan, I really thought Jonathan was going to have a bigger year and guys like Rondo Zagu were going to come out. And uh, there was just guy after guy after guy that you, you look at the recruiting tapes and you were excited about. Now, I think the, the biggest thing that's going to determine if uh, Jim Whitesell is a good coach and the right guy to lead the program or not is uh, how does he mold these uh, these athletes into becoming a team? Um, because that's one thing that Nate Oates was great at, and Bobby Hurley was really good at it as well. Uh, he, they had up-tempo. They, uh, they got their guys to play tough on both sides of the court, and they were ferocious, and they were tough. And, um, and, and those are the guys that 
that I like as head coaches. I, I really didn't think Jim Weitzel was the right guy for the job. Now, he's proven me wrong on the recruiting trail. He's bringing in guys that have uh, the nice stars to him, which I didn't think he was going to do based on his past uh, history at Loyola. And he's done a good job keeping this team together. So if that was the goal, that's been a success. But at some point, you have to start winning games. And I just I, – I, I'm not sure if it's going to happen. I like the guys that are coming in this year, and I like that they get – uh, Javon Graves back and that Nathan's going to be a junior now and I like that Mbala is a huge I, I think he could be a monster in the Mac but at some point uh, he's going to need to win win games that they have a basketball season who knows how many games but this is a team that needs to 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 be a top two team in the Mac like no more finishing fifth like this is a I know it's a one-year thing and a rebuilding year but this team that's talented enough to win 25 plus games if you're talking about a season of that length uh, it's up to Whitesell to bring out the results now I think he could we just gotta wait and see though no that's that's seriously I think you know exactly how I am right now you look you look he's bringing in some good names you look at guys like Trans Robinson like I think he'll make a good impact you get Malik Zachary out of Juco you should be able to step in and play right away but when you look at you know some of the follies of the team last year um, you had Josh Mbala was your only big man, really. Uh, Laquil Hardnett at times looked absolutely lost. And then there were other times where he looked great. But, you know, he's at most really a stretch four. So you need to, you know, you got to hope you can get some more out of someone like David Skogman now uh, who registered last year. So hopefully, you know, you're able to get some more. And, you know, you've had good guard play. You have some guards. You have some, you know, uh, wing players. But you, you need to have those big guys step up and, you know, just do their job within the MAC and because there's not so many like huge guys you really got to worry about if they can just do play their role and you let the guards uh, do and play their game I think that's you know what really has succeeded for UB over the past couple of years and then you got that you know big help from Perk um, obviously but it, looking at them you know between CJ Massenberg and uh, Jeremy Harris and uh, Javon Graves and Devontae Jordan, like they've had very, very good guard play. And that's not where they've struggled at all. And they didn't really struggle there last year besides a little bit of inconsistent scoring. So I think with another year under their belts, you should, you know, be able to get over that little hump there that they went through last year where you lose a lot of games you shouldn't have lost. You lose at home to Army, that should never happen. Um, just, just struggling at home was the biggest thing for me. It just seemed they couldn't make adjustments when they really needed to, and it, it cost them games. So can Weitzel make those in-game adjustments? That's number one for me. That's where I saw the team – where they seem to be the most behind was, you know, when things needed to change, when things weren't working, they weren't able to adapt. So can they do that in the next season? Um, hopefully they're going to be, you know, getting into Buffalo soon and being able to work out at least a little bit as a team. But, you know, with the season up in the air, who, you know, who knows about anything. And in the past few years, you guys have had successes from Bahamas Bowl win last season against Charlotte, where you absolutely dominated to your, um, upset against Arizona a couple years back what since you guys have been fans of Buffalo what's kind of been your favorite moment to watch from Buffalo as a fan um just being you know really in tune with how good our basketball program was being ranked um the Arizona win really started it for me um a lot of people didn't think that they would be able to handle Aiton that way um you know a future 
high draft choice. Um, and they just absolutely dominated them. Um, they dominated that game from start to finish. Couldn't miss. Uh, I thought they went on to play Kentucky very strong too. Ran into a buzzsaw with Kentucky, but played them strong throughout the game. That was, you know, seeing Nate Oates pumped up, you know, he told us that, you know, he was here for Buffalo in the long haul. Uh, I told that to my face, uh, actually, uh, in a press conference. And, uh, you know, took him at his word. But, you know, a couple of days later, gets that phone call to to go to Alabama, um, you know, after that, you know, after this, you know, all ends. That was one of my weakest moments, uh, the guys will tell you. You know, I, I, I took it hard, um, the coaching search and and the loss of Oates, pretty, pretty tough. But my, my favorite moment by far was that win in Arizona, leading to the Arizona State win the following season, although they were favored in that. Um, they ran and then they ended up running into Josh Mbala's team um, in, in Texas Tech, uh, who ended up going to the national finals. So uh, I thought if they had a, any other portion of that bracket, they go pretty far because that team is lethal, uh, as many in the MAC know that, I mean, many didn't even put up a fight. Bowling Green put up a little bit of fight. NIU always battled us hard. Um, but that, that was absolutely one of my favorite moments um, as, as a UB fan watching that really, that notoriety happen. And then the following season getting ranked, you know, top, you know, has got got as high as what 14 or 12 i can't remember the exact 14, high, 14 was it 14 no as high as they i think got. they got to 12 okay did they, they get to 12 um yeah i thought so but i could be right. wrong but they got they got pretty high and that that's a cool moment to see that 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 high of a number next to your name and it's got to be cool for the mac to say that talk to many bowling green fans who said hey let us win so we can have two teams in the in in the mac um in the mac tournament and you know we obviously didn't didn't let that happen but um, it, it, it was cool to see that that number next to the team name. So I'm going to say that game and then that number next to our team late in the season were my, were my two favorite uh, things that I've ever gotten to witness as a, as a Buffalo fan from a guy who watched this team go three and 13 in the Mac under Reggie Witherspoon uh, to that uh, and actually showing their dominance was, was, was a really cool time. And I, I'm going to say two for football and two for basketball. My two for football actually predate really the, the modern success of the team number one has to be when they won the MAC championship in 2008 under Turner Gill beating uh Ball State that was been Nate Davis like that was just un no one saw that coming and I remember that whole year I was a senior in high school me and my friend John we were talking about UB the whole fall and people were like man you're crazy like what are you talking about UB football for and then they beat a ranked team on national television the next week at school everybody was like oh you knew how did you know and it's like like how did you not know? Like they had guys like James Starks, Naaman Roosevelt, Drew Willie. It was just such a fun team. And uh, my other UB memory uh, that I love from that year was they had a Hail Mary win against Temple in the second week of the season. And if they don't get that win, it, the season could have just gone the complete opposite direction. Uh, but it was a game where they led the whole way and then they, they lose the lead late and they go down the field. And it just, it just felt like that magical moment paved the way for that, that amazing season. Um, football lately, it's it's been great watching guys like Tyree and Anthony Johnson and uh, Jarrett Patterson. And obviously you had guys like Brendan Oliver, but nothing has ever reached the magic of that 08 season for me. Uh, and then basketball, I have two moments. Uh, uh, the win against Arizona, how can you beat that? First NCAA tournament win in school history. You beat uh, a four seed with the number one pick in the NBA draft that no one said you had a chance. I picked Arizona to win the national championship in my bracket that year. <laughs> and, and I was so happy just to see my bracket be shred up uh, in week one. Uh, I mean, in the first game of the tourney. And then the second moment uh, for me was when UB went on the road and beat uh, Syracuse at the Dome. It, live in New York State, you don't know how much that is. Like, you have all these small 
uh, not saying UB small, but you have all these smaller basketball programs across the state, and Syracuse is the gold standard. Uh, you have schools like St. Bonaventure who did it the year before, and UB had their opportunity the year before, and they just couldn't finish the game despite having a lead late. And to be there and seeing a bunch of blue kind of just make their voices heard, and these Syracuse fans going into a game as an underdog, wondering why the heck are we – underdogs to this Buffalo team and then lose by double digits. Unbelievable. Like that, that to me is still probably my favorite moment of any UB event that I've actually personally attended, but uh, that, that'd be my, my top moments. Oh Lord, the blue Jays should have just scored a run. But um, for me, I think the biggest moment uh, football was watching, you know, Khalil Mack have that coming out day against Ohio state. Like it was just that, that time when finally it was like the program is gaining some sort of, you know, national attention and they're really grabbing it because growing up, you know, I gone to games, like I went to go see them play UTEP and, and it felt really cool to, you know, see these teams that I'd played against on NCAA football forever, but to see them go, you know, in the national spotlight on ESPN and it, to have, a, you know, coming out party like that was absolutely amazing. And if it wasn't for that one phantom penalty uh, when the Bulls recovered the ball with Khalil Mack there, could things have gone differently? Could they have won? Like that, I, that's always going to be the biggest question mark in my head ever as a Bulls fan. But then um, for basketball, I think the biggest one is the one like at least personally I cherish the most was them being Arizona State just to rub it in, in Hurley's face. Like there's, there's nothing better than seeing him pissed off on the side of the basketball court and to be the reason to cause it after, you know, him saying he was going to stay here and build the program. So like, it was just absolutely phenomenal. And to be with, you know, all our friends and everyone having a big watch party, there's just nothing that can be, you know, that type of thing. And when the, the team gets that national notoriety, there's just, there's no thing, you know, that can touch you. It just, it feels so amazing. And we hope that it can continue. That's, you know, that's all we really want. Yeah, I definitely remember seeing that game and, and thinking there was some poetic justice there for, for the Bulls program. That, that was pretty cool to see. This, so this next question here, not, not sports specific or anything like that, but what, one thing we're always curious to learn about is, is just kind of, um, you know, kind of like the game day atmosphere and kind of in and around the program. So like if, if myself or Sam or any one of our listeners, if we were to come up to Buffalo to, to, to catch a game on a Saturday, where, what are the spots to go to? Where, you know, where are, the, where are the places to go to tailgate or, or, you know, bars around campus, places where people kind of congregate around? What, what, what are kind of the spots that you got to visit when you come up to Buffalo to, to visit campus? Yeah, for, for us, we're mainly always in the special events lot, usually having a big tailgate for the football games, even some of the basketball games or the bigger games. Um, it all depends because some of us are, you know, covering. We get our uh, press passes, so we figure it out. But, you know, we usually still try to throw a little party with everyone, get, you know, with the true blue people, um, just to have everyone and to actually, you know, get together and have a little party. But, you know, my favorite spot to go to, if it's not, you know, just hitting the parking lots, tailgating, because Buffalo's a tailgating city you know bills bulls doesn't matter it's going to be a tailgate but my favorite spot to go before real close right over there on millersport elmo's uh they have the some of the best wings they're in my top five easily in buffalo which is a a very, very tough thing to do. They do their double-dipped wings. You had to get them charred on the pit. Um, shout out Joe Licata for the goat wing, honey mustard, Cajun double dip. You got to grab that. One of the best wings in all of Buffalo. 
<laughs> Ty, Ty summed it up pretty well, I think, for all of us. Um, but yeah, it's a tailgate city. Uh, the, the Bulls will try to mimic what UB does within rules and at regulations. But yeah, special events, lots, a lot that we have close to the stadium right there. It gets filled up real quickly. Um, it's a great time. You know, we, we try to, to mimic the shenanigans um, in, in a fun, more friendly filled atmosphere. Um, so it, it's a good time. I mean, everyone can, can, um, do wonderful things like that. So I, I would recommend getting get the game. And then, then UB basketball is great too, because uh, it's a little colder weather. You know, we have bars right around the corner. There's Papi Grandes, there's Santoras, there's a couple of places right there that sometimes we'll do events at. Um, you know, I like going to the Blue Bowl Tavern right there. Um, so those, those are, those are places right by campus um, that do really awesome things. And we have parties and watch parties and stuff there um, when we're on the road. And then if we're home and, and whatnot, we will, you know, like Ty said, some of us will be press passed others. Uh, the, the stadium was filling up alumni arena our basketball arena was filling up um you know 2019 2018 2019 2019 2020 little dip but uh still still pretty good atmosphere there um for for what we built so it's a great 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 town to, to watch catch a sports game and then a lot of people what they would do they would come in for one of those football games and then double dip with a bills game the following day on a sunday uh there's no better way to do it get a hotel on a saturday night you know if, if you want to catch an nfl game and then catch real some real 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 tailgating as well uh you can double dip watch a good good football game and, and UB catch a Bills game versus hopefully a good opponent the next day so that's what a lot of people from out of town would do and that's that's what I would recommend and tie tie hit it on how to Elmo's there's there's tons of great wing places um that that you can go to but it's 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 a blast here we we don't we don't ever ever shortchange tailgating and we do our best to bring it over to UB's culture yeah and sorry Kev sorry Kev hold on Mike sorry too but the Blue Jays just took the lead Bo Bichette three-run home run sorry Kev suck it <laughs> they're not playing the Yankees so I don't I don't have a big affiliation to the Marlins uh and then I'll just wrap up I'll be honest I, I'm the guy that probably has had the least amount of fun at games just because I'm normally he likes Ohio because he likes Ohio <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's it's that's true uh but uh I I say if you're coming from out of town you're coming from like a Mac City uh in Ohio or Michigan or you're from Northern Illinois or Ball State Come to Buffalo and just experience the area. Buffalo is a really nice place, uh, and there's a lot of fun things to do in the city. Um, UB area, there's some stuff. I would recommend just exploring out. I, I mean, a lot of people are always going to say, oh, we should go to Niagara Falls just because it's one of those bucket list things. No. When you're from Buffalo, it's cliche, whatever. It's uh, some water going over a cliff. But uh, Seriously, but get, get downtown. Yeah, it's like beautiful go, right go now. I'm sitting in Seneca Buffalo. One Tower. I have a beautiful view of the entire city. Let's see the stadium, uh, Ty. So many, so many beautiful um, just rooftop patios now, just different places, different restaurants, everything. Like, I can see the casino from here. One of my favorite spots. Obviously, you can't go bet on UB. You can't bet on New York uh, collegiate sports within New York State yet. But, you know, we can bet on everything else, all the other MAC games. I can bet on Ball State to lose whenever I want. <laughs> but, but, but yeah explore canal side go downtown we got some nice nice uh clubs and things are going to eventually get back to normal eventually and when they do uh buffalo is a fun city where people just want to have a good time and uh our bars are open till 4 a.m so that's uh something to, to bring up you can be out all night and uh, have some fun I, I they'll bring up Elmo's. Elmo's is great, but I say go to Duff's or go to Barbell. Experience some of the Duff's. other places yeah. uh, and just eat, eat, eat. Also try our pizza. Our pizza is amazing here too. Uh, and just have a good time and 
get some football and basketball in that UB. But I think what's unique about Buffalo for a Mac school, as, as we related to collegiate sports, is that it's a big city. Um, you know, I've been to Akron, I've been to Kent, um, I've been to other. Uh, so, I mean, I've I've been there covering the team or watching the team. Um, I've been to many places, and it's not the same to, as Buffalo. Buffalo, once again, is is in nature a really bigger city, um, especially for the Mac, um, and it's 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 loaded with professional sports fans people that are just dying to root for collegiate sports it's a battle that we we face over here all the time how do we convert all these great sports fans to watch the mac um it's something that we you know we we talk about internally all the time how do we do it with other student events other things you know we disagree on some things we agree on other things um so there's always this battle and and of how do we get the we call it the public out to our games kent state has a great turnout of their public fans we need that here in buffalo we have a million plus to, to get out of just erie county you factor in monroe county right next door another big big area in rochester who generally root for syracuse who i've personally helped um kind of train over to watch ub a little bit more um so that's a battle that we have a big a couple of big cities a couple of big counties how do we get these people to our games and we've been doing a better job at it but it's a big city in buffalo canal side's great i mean it's it's at some point the the, the bill stadium might be downtown buffalo so there, there there is some crazy things going on here um, and it's, it's absolutely can make a weekend of it. You know, people come in from Toronto. Um, they especially would if, if they could right now with the bat- baseball game going on. But people come in from Canada. Uh, it, it's, it's wild. There's so many bars. Um, there's some really great food. And that's you can't go wrong staying overnight um, because there is that much to do. Where I've stayed, I've gone to Kent. I've been in Kent, Ohio many times. Uh, I've been able to do nothing but stay in their micro hotel. So um, <laughs> it's, it's just a little bit different of an atmosphere um they they play in this like high school gym um like with rafters i was sitting once i couldn't even see the court because it was blocking me uh, alumni arena is a, a bigger bigger arena but i mean you know our, our football stadium is huge it's 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 big uh, and it has room to even be bigger but um you know there, there there's 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 it's 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 a it's a different atmosphere and, and it's cool to see that the, the the pro sports world tries tries to filter in so i mean there, there's some really unique things about buffalo for being in the mac and Tyler, I won't hold that Ball State dig against you. I won't bet on Ball State to win to begin with. So you go right ahead and bet against them to lose. But to wrap it up, um, unless Zach has any final questions. So you guys are recently uh, into the MAC, like 1998, I believe you guys joined the MAC. So this might be a tough question, kind of like a um, you guys need to think a little bit. But what we do kind of a segment where it's like the Mount Rushmore of each school where we pick – uh, four players to basically like that represent athletics, like who are the highest sure. performance, whether it's Cleo Mack or one of your other impressive standouts. So in your mind, if you had to pick four guys to represent your Mount Rushmore at Buffalo, who would you pick? Cleo and um, CJ, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I think so Cleo and CJ. And then you got to kind of debate which running back you want to take. You need to put Turner Battle. Oh, I think he might have to. Without Turner Battle, I don't think you get the UB program to where it is today. I really don't think you do. He's the first guy that got those first sort of generations of, like, you know, D1 UB Mac fans, like, really into everything. Like, that was the first real taste of success. Sierra Dillard, you can make a Oh, Sierra. I would throw Sierra in there. Yeah, I I, I do. That's what I do. I do Khalil, Massenburg. Uh, Turner and Sierra. That's my I agree. I agree. I, agree. Um, I don't know if Kev, if you have like another option there, but I, 
I think I, I like the Turner, Turner battle idea, but I'm going to go with a different Turner and it's going to be Turner Gill. Um, I think that he turned our football program. I mean, I, 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 as a freshman in college, I watched, I stormed the fields. Um, it was some when they, of the worst football until then. they beat it Temple really six was. to three and I stormed the field. True story. <laughs> it was like our first win in a year or two. Um, it was awful. It was awful football. James Starks was this guy just from locally here. Um, and uh, Naaman Roosevelt, another local guy. And it was, it, that was a start and it was up Turner Gill. They had got rid of their awful football coach. They, um, you know, kind of those early days. And then on, on the basketball side of Reggie to being 500, and but then, that was a and huge then them going to the new logo, everything like the new rebranding. Like it just felt like it took, yeah, it did take a yeah. new, new, new era, but I think I would still lean Turner battle just because we're going to go with like players. I think. Yeah. Like, and, I, if, if, Gil had a little more success. Like, if he was able to get a MAC championship, like, I would probably give it to him just because, like, that transition, it was so tough for UB at first, especially trying to get fans there. Like, I remember them, like, coming to our youth football game, just, like, giving us free tickets all the time um, growing up. And those are the first games I went to. Like, I mentioned, you know, the UTEP games. Those are all Turner Gill games. Like, being able to see these teams from all across the country and like finally it's not like oh you're just playing ohio you're just playing northern illinois like you're getting all these national sort of teams just here was having a little bit of success then <laughs> oh well like um but you know what i mean like in the grand scheme of things like it's teams from all over teams who are getting some national attention and like it was there but yeah i'm, I'm still going to turn a battle over gill but i would like if you're talking one coach to put in like as a fifth for mount rushmore it'd be probably turner gill yeah, I mean, he. I thought he jolted to, to to his Power Five conference a little bit too quickly over to Nebraska, uh, probably. But so did so did all of our coaches. I mean, you, you got to make a, an argument there for the Hurley Oats combo too, because I mean, to go from what they took a bad Reggie Weatherspoon team, and I'm sorry, they were bad. They they were bad toward the latter end of his tenure, and to be ranked and to be a national powerhouse and to be one of the best mid major programs in the country. It's tough. I know it's more modern, but it's tough to leave out that combo. If, if either of them stayed longer, you know, like you can make that argument. It's just, I think, sort of the, the short length of tenure, I would keep them out. But. See, yeah. That's where the recent history really changes a lot of things because you look at it, if this was done seven years ago, we're probably considering a person like Javon McCray on that list. And, you know, before the last couple Reggie years, I, I remember – there's people at UB that they loved Reggie. Like, he was adored when he was fired. Like, that broke – people hated me. The news me went crazy. Like, people, people hated me because I actually was in favor of him – of them moving on. But, like, it, people were not happy that Bobby Hurley was taken over. They, they, they were they, – they, it felt like their heart was broken. But I, I guess it all worked out in the end. So, I'm we kind of just forget that how things ended but there was a time people would have said reggie and javon mccray and turner gill and uh, i guess that's a good sign of where things have come in the last and years. i'm throwing in a name too lastly is danny white because i oh, thought that yes yeah i you know i i don't think ub's where they're at without him making that decision to hire the next group of good hires um and you know now he's leading you know power five conferences and i mean come on i mean he's he's got to be one of the reasons and, and we're talking about the athletes and the coaches here but a lot of the reasons that pushed donors and pushed uh administration to make get rid of the old guard and make changes was danny white and he's proven it on a high level now so i don't think we can forget how successful he was and once again yeah, national champions ucf that's right i mean i was it, just gonna say i thought i knew that name sounded familiar he's the ad at ucf now right 
That's right. Oh, and he's he you know, national championship winning. Don't, UCF. don't get me started on UCS. <laughs> he's he's done awesome man i mean he's 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 a, he's a fantastic executive he started here in buffalo and changed our program went and did the same thing to ucf really um so it's if you're gonna throw an executive on the wall it's got to be danny white he was he was a fantastic and like mike said there was a lot of pushback between the, the the days of reggie weatherspoon and danny white was right right there and like you know i'm making a change this, this program's a big school they deserve to be better um, and that's that's what he did. So um, I, I like him, and I like I like Turner Gill better than Turner Battle. I don't think Turner Battle ever won anything. Um, so that's 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 where I'm at with it. Um, but the other names are are absolute slam dunks. Khalil Mack definitely. Um, you know, uh, CJ Massberg is just a stud, um, yeah. and every on and off the court. And then Sierra Dillard, our best you know female athlete here at the school, was awesome. Drafted our only basketball player ever drafted. So um, that, that's that's a pretty rock solid group. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Well, hey, before, um, before we let you guys get out of here, I wanted to give you guys, you know, an opportunity to kind of promote your site and yourself. So um, you want to, you know, tell our listeners where, where they can find you guys online, what kind of where your presence is. Yeah, so we run everything uh, like UB related through bullet points, 716 on Twitter, um, put all our podcasts, all of our content there. And any, you know, extra supplemental stuff goes on to trainwrecksports.com, our, you know, our main sports entertainment company we're running, like we're covering Toronto Blue Jays, Bills, Sabres, pretty much everything Buffalo you could ever want. Uh, we're branching out a little bit, starting into all New York hockey. So we're just trying to touch on a little bit of everything. You can follow us you know, at bullet.716 at trainwrecksports minus the O on Twitter. Uh, myself is just at Ty Buffalo. Just continuing to just put out, you know, UB content as much as you can. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, boys, we, we can't thank you enough for, for taking some time to talk to us tonight. We'll let you get back to your night. Hopefully the Blue Jays hang on and, uh, and get a victory here tonight in the first uh, professional baseball <laughs> in Buffalo. But uh, Mike, Kev, Ty, we really appreciate your time tonight. Thanks a lot for stopping by, guys. Yeah, thank you guys for having us. Uh, we hope, you know, the hustle belt gets back to it. You know how it is with the match, and we want it back. They'll be playing any day they can once things are nice and safe. And, you know, we're going to be here for it, whether it's the spring, the fall, the summer. It doesn't matter. We're going to continue covering it because, like we say at Trainwreck Sports, this train never stops. Very well said. Very well said. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, guys. Well, we hope you enjoyed the interview with the Bullet Points blog, and we also hope you enjoyed uh, our conversation with James here earlier uh, in the episode. We also really appreciate all of the feedback and all of the participation we've gotten on the Mac Mascot Bracket Challenge on Twitter. Be sure to look out for that drop-in on Friday for this week's matchups. We also, real quick, before we, wanted to, uh, before we let everyone go, wanted to shout out uh, some of our followers on Twitter who correctly answered our Twitter trivia questions correctly the last two weeks. So, Sam, why don't you give them a quick shout out? Uh, yeah, we've got, we've got to cover the past two. Again, every Monday I will be posting a trivia question, so be sure to answer that. And if you are the first person or you're close to, like you guys answer at the same time, we will shout you out on this podcast for getting the answer right. That's as simple as it is. It'll take two seconds, gives us more interaction. Yeah, uh, from this past week's, we've got most played rivalry in the MAC, and it had to be uh, between two MAC opponents because I know Miami, Ohio, and Cincinnati has their uh, rivalry going on, but I wanted to see who knew had the most rivalry between two MAC schools. And we've got two answers. We've got encouragement and nuance Twitter account at don't give up one, two, five, one, three. He um, 
he was one of two people to get it correct. We've got uh, he said Miami, Ohio, and Ohio and one thirty-five. He didn't get the ga- amount of games correctly, but we gave it to him because he did have the correct uh, rivalry matchup. It is, believe I, closer to like around ninety-six and ninety-eight. So, and then next we've got Jude De Lohoy, who also gave the right answer, Battle of the Bricks, which refers to the Miami, Ohio, and Ohio, probably close to 100 meetings, which was correct. And then for the um, week week one of our trivia questions, we had founding MAC members who aren't in the conference anymore. We said, uh, name the four MAC members who left. Uh, little Uzi Jim said Butler, UC, Wayne State, and Western Reserve, which is correct. Perfect. Well, we appreciate the uh, the interaction, guys, and great job on getting those right. We love seeing everyone else's Mac knowledge. We try to find some cool trivia questions, uh, historical stuff to, to kind of throw at you guys to trip you up. But both weeks so far, we've had uh, responses that got them right. So uh, with that, we're going to sign off for this week. Sam, any final thoughts uh, for our listeners? Um, nope. Uh, sad to sad to hear that the Max canceled. I'm sure all you listeners are bummed as well as you're probably Mac fans as much as we are. But I'm looking forward to watch some Pacers basketball. Hopefully, you guys keep supporting our mascot uh, bracket that we have going on. We want to see as many votes as possible. Get your vote out there. Uh, represent the democratic process well. <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, we we appreciate you stopping by as always. We thank you for lending us your ears and. Uh, and- Uh, letting us talk to you a little bit every Friday. I am Zach Bollador. He is Sam Philman. This has been another episode of the Mac Bandwagon Podcast. Thanks so much for stopping by, and we'll talk to you soon.